Thanks for joining us today. We believe God is going to do great things in your life and we want to hear about it. Send us your story at mystory@summitsa.com and let us know what he's done for you through this ministry. If you'd like to partner with us or bless us with a financial gift, go to summitsa.com and give an amount that works best for you. Now enjoy the message and have a blessed day. You can change the future. Can't change the past, but you can change the future. So we begin this weekend a new series on learning to think generationally. Now, a lot of people don't think past lunch, but we're supposed to think generationally. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. This is the book of generations. It's a book of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Verse 2 says he begot, the begat, begun, begot, begat, begat for 42 generations. I just hustling right on through. <laughs> verse 6, and they kept on begotting and begetting and begotting to verse 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who's called Messiah. There were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, and 14 generations from David to the exile in Babylon, and 14 generations from the exile to the Messiah. God thinks generationally. He's not one-dimensional like we are. He builds, he thinks, he plans generationally, way out there. Do you think way beyond yourself? As a church, do we think beyond now, us, us for and no more, or do we think what's to come generationally? Now, we typically think here and now, and because we do, we typically, people typically live for here and now. So people make short-term decisions, and they're short-term in their thinking. And when the Lord called Abraham, he wasn't just thinking about Abraham. He was thinking about you, thinking about me. How far ahead are you thinking? Proverbs 13, verse 22. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. That's not just money. That's value, vision, purpose, habits. It affects everything. So our small thinking has limited God's impact in the earth. Half the church is standing at a rapture bus stop with a suitcase and a sword, and they don't know whether to fight or fly away. God's trying to get in the earth. The church is trying to get out of the earth. I don't get it. He said, when you pray, pray thy kingdom come, not go. Now, one day we will, but our focus is supposed to be on occupation on this earth. Occupy till I come. But a lot of Christians just sat down. They abandoned the arts, the media, journalism, theater, the movie, the music, style. They abandoned it all because we're going to fly away by noon. You know what would cure a lot of people? Just quit watching Christian TV too much. I mean, there is a lot of goofy stuff that has messed up your thinking. Some of it's true, but it's out of context. And maybe it's imbalanced. I'm making a difference right now. I stood on a platform with Jack Van Impey who told me when I was a young man, I would never have to pay for a wedding for my daughters. Jackie, you lied. 
I did. Had to pay for college education for two of them and a wedding for one of them. And maybe another one to come. Who knows? But my point being, all that did nothing to help me make a difference in my life. I'm planning for the long haul. And if God doesn't show up, no big deal to me. I'm running a long marathon. Could care less. What if he shows up and interrupts your plans? Whoopee. Like, who cares? Right? I think the best thing to do when he comes is be busy. Be doing something. So don't think so small. If we think, thanks, I got a few friends. If you think generationally, it'll make a difference in the decisions you make and how you live our lives. People today in this Western culture are so easily offended. They quit marriage. They quit job. They quit church. They quit a group because somebody offended me. I didn't like that. It didn't go my way. Grow up. It is never going to go your way. You're always going to get offended. Just get married. Have kids. Have relatives. Join a church. Go to a group. Join any group anywhere. You can't put two people together and not get some occasional chafing or disagreement or not get your way. And if that's your attitude, you won't laugh. Here's what you won't do. You won't build anything that lives on after you. If that's the way, there, all of us could quit every year or something. Just, I like quit. I don't have to take it. No, you don't. But if you think the mission is more important than how you feel, you'll stay with, the, you'll stay with it. And the mission, the cause, the purpose is a lot bigger than how you feel for the moment or I feel. Isaiah, 1, Isaiah 51, verse 8. My salvation is from generation to generation. So God's plan, God's purposes, God's provision goes from generation to generation. Ecclesiastes 1, 4. One generation passes away, another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. Now, it's kind of depressing if you see how short a span our lives are. The Bible calls it a vapor. I never dreamed I'd be this old. I thought people this age were ready for the morgue. It ain't happening, baby. Oh, no. Oh, no. But that was my thinking. That was my thinking, how quick time flies. But God thinks in the generations past, present, and future, and if I catch the idea that if I live for the purpose of God, then our children, our seed, won't finish where we finish. That seed will reach on and on. Abraham had a full life. He had two boys. But he never lived to see the full ramifications of his life. He never knew me, but he's blessing me way out here in 2017 and millions of other people. He didn't, he didn't see it. So we in the church have to think a lot bigger. And if we're going to think generationally, let me give you four or five thoughts. First, there has to be a commitment to believe in the next generation. At age 43, the United Kingdom elected Tony Blair to head the nation, a very powerful position and responsibility, a nuclear capability nation. At age 43, my friend Brian Houston in Australia was elected to head the Assemblies of God churches. And it became a great big deal that somebody so young, 43, would be given that kind of responsibility. Now, it's amazing that you can be in your 40s and run a nation, or in your 20s and fly billion-dollar aircraft, or tanks, or multi-billion-dollar submarines, 
or lead groups into combat and heads armies in your 20s. My father was 22 flying B-24 bombers into Nazi Germany on D-Day. In the Bible, these guys were in their 20s. Most didn't even live to be 40. And you got an idea that you're not really mature or wise until you're like, what, 70? No, maturity doesn't come out of age. It comes out of your ability to be responsible, which if you've got more than one kid, you'll realize real quick, age, you got nothing to do with it. Some of them are mature and wise at, at, at an early age, and others, you just keep praying. I hope, I hope one day. So age is not, is not the indicator about being mature or capable, and so they were giving him a fit that he couldn't run a religious institution. So it's okay for Tony Blair to run the United Kingdom, but not Brian to run the Assemblies of God. People find it difficult to trust the next generation. And one of the signs you're getting old is you stop trusting young people. You want to get old? Then you start, stop releasing young people. Go to a high steeple, few people, formal church that died over 75 years ago, and walk in and it looks like a Rocky Mountain snowstorm because everybody's 70 or over with white hair. You won't find a lot of babies in the nursery or a lot of young people dancing at the front because they ain't changing. We're going to keep it like it always was. Look at the young man, Jesus, age 12. Luke chapter 2, verse 41. Every year, Jesus' parents went up to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't know it and didn't miss him at first. Well, you say, well, how did they not miss him? They traveled in a caravan with relatives and family, big entourage, because they assumed he was among the other travelers in the band. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him three days. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among religious leaders, listening and asking questions. I'd love to have heard that. Twelve-year-old boy. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said, why have you done this to us? We've been frantic searching for you everywhere. Sounds like a mom in a mall that's lost a kid, right? It does. Uh, verse 49, and he said to them, why do you seek me? Did you not know I have to be about my father's business? But they did not understand. Young people in any generation are hard to understand. And after you said amen, so were you, Sparky. So were you and me. I think there are three E's that describe young people today. Extreme, experiential, and eccentric. Extreme. You, most of you know what extreme sports are. There's a picture. Sports that push you to the limit, designed to give you an adrenaline rush. They aren't really sports at all. They're just moments of madness, but, but they are extreme. And then they're experiential. They love to experience things. Ever know, They'll taste it, touch it, whatever, smell it, eat it. Ever notice the worst thing you can put on a wet paint sign is don't touch? Everybody will touch it. And eccentric. Now, don't think of eccentric like Einstein. Eccentric means off-center, 
unwillingness to conform, unpredictable. Now, God changes the world through people just like that. These young people, like Bill Gates, like Steve Jobs, were in their 20s in a garage launching billion-dollar businesses whose technology revolutionized the world. They didn't dress like, they didn't talk like, they didn't think like, and they didn't fit in like everybody else. They stood out, and they were different, and perhaps irrational, a little erratic. They weren't always um, easy to get along with because they're bucking the status quo. If you want to sit, soak, and sour, I won't be a friend. I'll make you uncomfortable because I'm not going to be that way nor tolerate that. So take a hike. If that's, that's not the right attitude around here, you say, well, you're difficult to be around. I am if you want to be complacent and if you want to fit in a mold and you want to do it like we always did it. Yeah, I'll be difficult, but we wouldn't have what we have if I just fit in. And you won't either. So I don't want my kids to fit in if, if that means just go along. Let me tell you, if you follow the crowd, the only place you're going to end up is the exit. You think, chew on that one a little bit. Get you some of that. And you see these qualities in Jesus, just like our own youth. So we got to believe in the next generation. You know, if you go back and look at some of the old heroes that led the nation, or let's go in the church history, go back and look at some heroes. They were perfect for their day, for their generation. They were perfect. They wouldn't fit today. So I have to believe I'm on time and you have to believe we're the right person in the right place at the right time that God put us here. Mordecai said to Esther, who knows, baby, you've come to the kingdom for such a moment as this. You're right on time. And that means the next generation won't be quite like us, but they'll be the right fit for that generation and that culture. So get out of your idea transferring sameness. We don't want any part of that. And so it's a little difficult for us to understand the youth. It was difficult for my parents to understand me and probably yours understanding you as well. So stop seeing all these things as negative. Under the power of God, they can be positives. When God shapes these little bit of rebellion and eccentricity and creativity and nonconformity, when he takes a hold of them, he can use those real powerfully to shape a world and a nation, or technology, or the church. Your children and your teenagers are important to this church. They are. And if you can take on the same generational thinking as God, we can build for the future God's purpose. We tend to presume that everything is always getting worse, that young people are worse than they've ever been, that the quality of life was better when you were young. I wish God would put some of you back there for three weeks. Go back to an old girlfriend. Go back to an old job. Go back to no cell phone, no air conditioning, no malls, no movies, fans in the ceiling of stores. And when you went window shopping, you literally were outside on a downtown street looking in a window to shop. That's a fact. Didn't even have seat belts. I remember the first 
portable phone made by Motorola. It looked like a World War II walkie-talkie. Anybody remember that? Well, I thought we'd arrived. Yeah. Go back to the good old, there ain't nothing good about them. I used to people say, wouldn't you like to go? No, shoot, no. My wife showed me a high school annual, and I looked at some people, and I thought, I could have married that, and I'm so glad I didn't. What in the world did I see there? How about you? Am I talking anybody else's language? Yeah, it's true. It's amazing how we embellish the past. Young people today have so much more potential than we had, and they've got so much more going for them. I want to tap into that. I don't want to be doing things the same way we are now, five years from now. What's relevant today won't be relevant next year, maybe next month. So what I want to impart to the next generation are values, not style, not methods. we got to keep moving forward and investing in the future. I've preached many times in the nation of Wales, quite a small nation, and they only worship in Welch, the language Welch, because Welch was the language of the great Welch revival in 1904 to 1905. One year. And they think if we keep worshiping in Welch, it'll bring God back. But God didn't come because they were speaking or singing in Welch. And now they're dead as Julius Caesar, and nobody goes to church. You see how silly it gets? God says, remember not the former things. They've come to pass. Behold, I do a new thing. You can't put new wine in an old wineskin. Structure, methods, style, technology are not sacred. They have a shelf life. Only truth is sacred. God's Word is truth. That's the only thing that's eternal and sacred and doesn't change. Everything else changes if you let it. Music changes. The Jitterbug. The Tommy Dorsey Orchestra. Lawrence Welk, turn off the bubble machine. And then, and then we had Rockabilly, tear down the mailbox, lock up the door, there's a teenage meeting at the candy store. We're going to rock it up right tonight. Then Elvis came out, changed the dress, changed the style. <laughs> then the Beatles came over, changed the dress, changed the style. Motown came out, changed everything again. So the, the natural culture keeps changing in style, in technology, in music, and so does the church. And that's perfectly legitimate. Do you think Jesus would have rode in a boat if he'd have had an airplane? Would he rode a donkey if he could have stepped on a jet? Would he have rode out in the middle of the Galilee to, to bounce his voice off the water to 5,000 people if he'd have had a PA system? People are dumb as a rock. No, he'd have used what technology was available. Well, I just don't think you ought to bring Hollywood into the church. No, you mean life. Technology, color, lights. Everybody's on iPads, iPhone, looking at screens on a computer. Color, technology. And you want to come to church, wear a robe, die. No. That was the best they had. 
they didn't have video, so they had stained glass windows with a beautiful picture and maybe a scripture. They didn't have moving screens to communicate. Any way that communicates better to a generation, use it. You're just a launch vehicle. The warhead is the truth of God's gospel, but the launch vehicle is whatever you use to send it out there. So find out something that's, that's effective. You know, something that was effective five years ago may, may have brought life, but it's dead now. Now it's just baggage. And some guys, God says, lay aside every weight that hinders the race. Um, look at the average businessman versus a millennial today. Here's a picture. That's Austin on the right. See there? <laughs> we have people come all the time, give me food food baskets for Austin and Goodwill clothes. They bless his heart. They think he's homeless. I thought, no, he's wealthy. That's just, that's just, you go to the, you go to the biggest churches in the world. Look on the right. That's who's leading it. That's who's, that's who's on the stage. Well, I don't like that. That's because you're old. That's because you come out of another style. I listen to music with Mia and Ethan, my grandchildren. I watch videos, Paw Patrol. I watch stuff that I'd never watch because I love them. And I'll buy it to invest in them because I love them. I want them to, I want them to be passionate, to have vision. I want them to have values. So I, I'll do with them what I wouldn't do for my own self, right? And you've got to think that way in the church. It ain't a, we're not an aquarium. We just keep feeding you some food. We're supposed to be fishing for people. And you're already in the kingdom, so be quiet. Help us to, re at least don't get in the way. If you want to go back to some old dead religion, God bless you. Go find that place. But don't be toxic around here. Don't hinder our growth and style. Uh, my wife gave me this picture of, in 1947. Look at my daddy. That's me at three. Two-toned shoes. Pocket square. A Panama hat. Look, it looked like Al Capone. That was, look at those cars. That was the style. That wasn't a wealthy man. That was an Air Force pilot. That was just the style in that culture. Right? It's changed. Now almost nobody wears a tie. Uh, very few. Percy still does, but I'm not going to say anything. I want you to, you come like you want, Okay. Be you. If you're 80 years old and that's your style, God bless you. Come on in. If you, if you look like a homeless man like Austin, that's okay too. I am picking on Austin, okay. These guys will wear a fuzz hat in the middle of the summer. Like, like it ain't cold, Austin. It's not about function. It's about style. And it's tough to keep young people committed because they've got a saying now, FOMO, F-O-M-O, FOMO, fear of missing out. So they say, yeah, I'll be with you at church next week if something better doesn't come along. Uh, yeah, I'll go out with you unless I get a better offer. Fear of missing out. Mm. So style changes, music changes, church style changes as well. I remember sitting on, I'm a staff member. This is after I became a Christian. I'm now, I'm now in the ministry. I'm on the stage with six pastors. We, we, back in those days, we had the red chairs, the thrones up on the stage where the great potentates could sit. 
and then the pastor would walk up. We had a piano and an organ on opposite sides, typical Baptist uh, folks. And I remember sitting there doing this (laughs) and drooling a little bit. And I told my wife, so help me God, if they weren't paying me, I wouldn't even come here. It is so bad. And that's when I decided no more. And we left to start a great adventure, and you're it. Here we are. I said, I'm not going to live like that anymore. And you don't have to either. See? So we got to have a commitment to the next generation. Secondly, take the opportunity to change the future. How? Well, by allowing your life to cut off the past. How you do that? The day, the year you gave your life to Jesus Christ, the curse of Adam was broken off of your life. And instead of being cursed, you are now blessed and highly favored with God through Christ. I pass on a blessing to the future now, not a curse. That means my family, my children to a thousand generations are blessed. Whatever addiction was in the family, whatever unemployment ran in the family, what a divorce ran, that curse is now broken in Jesus' name. And that means it has no power over my future. My kids will cause my generations to get stronger, and so will yours. Some of you are sitting here today wondering, what's significant about my life? But that's just it. This side of eternity, we never know the full ramifications of it. Once in a while, because I travel extensively, once in a while I meet people in another nation who might say, my whole life was changed when I heard you in 1987, blah, 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 blah. And I thought, I had no idea. How would I know that? I would have no idea. Nor will you, always. Once in a while, God give you a little glimpse, but mostly you, don't, you won't know till eternity. That's, that's kind of cool. This side of eternity, you don't know. Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he won't depart from it. You know, you learn everything first from your parents, not your peer group, mom and daddy. If mom and daddy are cheap, you learn that. If mom and dad won't tip, you learn that. If mom and dad are penny pinchers, you learn that. If they're unkind, you learn that. If they're abusive, you learn that. If they are liars, you, you learn that. You learn that behavior first in your home. If you learn to slap a woman because that's the home you grew up in and that was the culture of it, you come out with that. You've been trained in that. And only through Jesus and forgiveness and having that curse broken do we have the power to change that for the future. I mean, so children will typically grow up and reproduce their inheritance, what they learned or were failed to be taught in a home. And yet, sometimes the very thing they despised about their home, family, or parents are the things that sadly often come true in their life. They were trained in a certain way, and they didn't depart from it. So whatever a child is trained in, in a sense, they become a prisoner too. That's why I want my kids to see me give. I want my kids to see me serve. I want my kids to see me go to church, and I want it to be fun. I want them to say, let's go. Are we going, Daddy? Let's go. Or Granddaddy or Poppy or Cece, we're going to go. We're making, we are building training into those kids by repetitive behavior. You're not, I want them to know, love God. He's a person. He's got a personal interest in you. This is not some etherical, far away 
away God in the universe somewhere. No, it's a personal God who loves you, has the hair on your head counted, has your name in a book and the days of your life written in that book. It's a very personal relationship to you. I want them to have a real nice relationship with God, not all this religious formality stuff. Just, I want to train them in that. So for them, it's normal. It's happy. I have fun. We laugh. We cry. We serve. We give. We help other people less fortunate than us. Make it happen. Some of you come on Christmas and Easter. Whoopie-doo. You just trained them. Yeah, then they get up and they face life. They face marriage. They face job. They face temptation. They face addictions. And they have nothing to draw on to deal with it. You didn't give them anything. So give them something good. See, I'm a living beyond myself. I'm living for them. I would die, give myself for them. It's true in the animal kingdom. It ought to be true. God help us in the human kingdom. Ought to be. That we live beyond what you like. You lay your life down for others. No man has greater love than to lay down his life for a friend. So why not, wouldn't I lay them down for my children or my children's children? Now, when a person comes to Jesus, old things are passed away. All things become new. My future just changed, and I'm going to change the future for the next generation. So that's why we got to think generationally. There's more to your life than just you. God saved you not just for you, but for your children's children's sake, the generation to come. Now, people, there are people sitting in this room and over this weekend with me who helped me in the early days raise money to buy this building and this property. Many laid their lives down and have sown into it for a long time. And many people use it and don't sow a dime, don't serve, don't give their talent. Don't do, they want to use it, but they don't want to build it. Sad, isn't it? There's owners in here and there's renters in here. I don't have to tell you about renters. They use and abuse and walk away. Owners say, not on my watch. I've got an investment of my life, my time, my money, and my talent. I, I want to make it better. I want to fix that. I want this go well in the children's ministry. If it doesn't concern me, if it's part of Summit, it's part of our family. It's our concern. We not, we're not building us and them. Every ministry in here is Summit, every single one. I had a guy years ago in another location who was building a separate ministry out of our ministry, and when I discovered he didn't give a dime to the church, and he used his time, our facilities, for his own separate ministry, I terminated him on that day. I said, no, Summit is one church, one body, one family. It's not us and them. It's just us, period. That's the one family. And so I'm real particular about that. And so today, somebody's going to give their life to Jesus who had nothing to do with this building or purchasing this land or raising the funds for everything that we enjoy. Ha! But I got another building for you, baby, a children's building and then a gymnasium on this side. Oh, we got big plans for you, so I'm glad to have you on board. Glad you showed up. See? And the reason we sow and steward is for the generation to come. So it's not just about me. It's about I want these young people to have something they can be proud of that's already got momentum, it's got location, it's got vision, it's got some influence, and then as we hand them the baton, we did the best we could, we expect them to take it to a higher level. They ought to be able to do more with it, right? Sure, absolutely. Third, if we think generationally, it gives us motivation to serve our current generation. 
In Acts 13, 36, David, after he served the purpose of God in his generation, fell asleep and was buried. You'd kind of presume that's the end of David's story, but that's not the way his life ends in a grave. Jesus is referred to as the son of David. David will be mentioned in pulpits all over the world today. David, though dead, yet speaks even to this day. David served his own generation. And a lot of people, you know, when it comes to generations and building an inheritance, don't do anything for today. Their excuse for not investing, not giving, not serving, what's important today is their concern about the future. So their kids don't see them much. They don't enjoy the journey. They're, they're too busy building a nest egg for the future. So they never invest in their own generation. So don't be set on the future. You miss serving our generation today. Serving today, sowing today, is building the future for tomorrow. That's what's important. So what we build for our kids in the future comes out of what we sow into serving our generation today. We'll be packing food packs for the underprivileged kid at almost school, elementary school. 93% of them are on federal subsidy. 660 children are there. And this will be our third year to support the whole school with a one year of all the school products they need. The teachers have to raise their own money to do that. We've stepped in, took over the whole 660 kids, and we give them a year's supply of school supplies because of your sowing into another generation. Then tomorrow, <laughs> tomorrow this place won't look like this because we'll have over 1,000 children coming for free because of your sowing to have adventure camp, vacation Bible school, and tap the potential of a child's future. I do realize some parents dump their kids. I don't care. Those kids are our future. And if we can know, get them to know they're loved, they are valuable, they have a purpose, they can know Jesus who loves them, we may alter the life of a child forever. So I'm thinking way beyond the mess that'll be in here and all the rest of the facility and the cleanup that will ensue at the end of the week and the sweat of all the hundreds of volunteers who will be teaching and helping. It's like a fire ant mound trying to keep order after you stir it up. It's wild. But that's what we're doing. We're sowing. We're serving. We're building in to the present generation. They're our future, right? Number four. Uh, I was trying to think where I was. If we think generationally, it gives us the foresight to live correctly. It's a good motivation. Psalms 112, first three verses. Praise the Lord. How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying His commands. Their children will be successful everywhere. That's, that, that's bait to me. That, I like hearing that. Hmm. Their children will be successful. An entire generation of godly people will be blessed. They themselves will be wealthy, and their good deeds will last forever. So to the upright, uh, when you're upright, I'm trying to take religion out of it. It just means you, you, you're walking with good moral values. When it comes to temptation or distraction or discouragement or disappointment, when you walk upright, you, you have the power to resist it and to win over it. The Bible says the seed of the upright shall be mighty in the earth, not insignificant. 
So if I live my wife the way God has purposed, my seed will get stronger in the earth. Remember, maybe just a, a note to parents, your kids are never going to think like you. They're not going to share the same th- way you think about everything. Stop it. All you have to transfer are values, not style, not dress. Oh, I can't believe that she's wearing that. I know, me either, but that's part of my culture, not hers. Here's, you're not going to win the battle. The battle you can win is transferring values. Tra- not style, not music, not the way we did it. Does that make sense? Values. I want them to know and love God on a personal basis, and I want them to, you know, be kind. Uh, God sets out some good. Don't steal. Don't take what's not yours. Tell the truth. Do what you said when you said you'd do it like you keep your word. Good moral values. And life is good. And so I'm motivated to do that. So my children will be mighty in the earth. They won't just have what I got. They're going to have more. That means wherever we stop, they get to start. Our stopping point, that's why as long as I breathe, I want to expand as much as I can, possess as much of this 60 acres as possible, spread the influence, lower the debt, and pass on to them so when they grab that baton, they've got a head start to run and do something bigger than we ever dreamed of. But we did the best we could. We, I, was, I was almost 45 years old when I started. I didn't know squat, just know a little now. But imagine what the young people can do with greater wisdom, more relevance, a better teaching, and a good foundation. Holy cow, they ought to be able to knock it out of the park. <laughs> Five people, okay. So generations ought to get stronger. I mean, I look at churches, I've been here 30 years, and I could talk to some of my pals sitting out here and say the same thing. And we've seen churches start up last five years, implode, go away. They never finish. They're not thinking generation. Well, I, I, if I don't get to sing, I'm leaving. Well, if I don't get to do this, if I don't get to vote, if I don't get to be on the board, if I don't get to, oh, God, it's awful. People are so easily offended. Well, I don't like the way they do that. Well, fine. That's the exit right back there. It's got a red sign over it. If you want to make everybody happy, sell ice cream. But you're not going to lead a family, a marriage, a business, a company, a division, or a church and make everybody happy. In fact, some people should not be happy because they're not doing what God wants them to do like He wants them to do it. They want to control or bewitch or use witchcraft to manipulate. No, no, no. That's the most famous word when you get older that'll make you more successful. No. What is it about no you do not understand? Yes and no are the only two boundary words Jesus gave us. Let your yes be yes, let your no be no. Not maybe. No. Yes. If a girl says no, that doesn't mean maybe. That means no. Right? Tell our athletes that or something. Number five. Here's the last one. If we think generationally, it gives us wisdom to invest in the next generation. Moses left Egypt thinking he was leading God's people into the promised land. But Omo never got there. Joshua, the next generation, took him in. It's interesting, David dreamed of building a temple for God. He raised the money, but he never got to see it. 
His son, the next generation, Solomon built it on daddy's money. Jesus lived and died on the cross for a new covenant church, but he died before it became a total reality. Now, of course, he's alive forever today. Romans 8, 29, he's the firstborn of many brethren. So we're here today glorifying God because of Jesus. If we think of only one generation, then much of the fruit of our life is going to be lost. You know, most believers don't think generationally because they're expecting to fly away. Jesus will come again, but a flyaway mentality will cause us to forget the generation to come. Because if he does not, you better have built something, right, that will live on after you. Our kids, those touched by our ministries, will thank God our generation broke away from a typical religious mold. We won't even live to see all that we're believing for, giving for, and living for. But our children will. So let's refuse as a group, as a church family, to be selfish, immediate, short-sighted, and refuse to make decisions that have to do only with us. Let's be big enough to see the opportunity to impact and bless the next generation and change the future. I wish every government official, every person that makes decisions would think, is the next generation going to curse me or bless me because of the choices and decisions we're making today? You know, that's true. I wish the government would as well. Are they going, is this just immediate for me? Or how will this impact the next generation? We can change the future. And those that have given their life to Christ, if you succeed, will make it easier for others to follow. You know, when you go home and look at that snotty-nosed brat or that hard-to-understand teenager, don't get discouraged. Realize they're the reason you're here in the first place. Trust God. You know, do the best you can. He's able to make something out of them in His time. Love them unconditionally, whether they're in a prison or a palace. You can't make me not love you, period. That's the way God feels about you. Thanks for joining us today, and may God richly bless you. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.